just really sensed an anointing coming on me very strong there. And it can make you emotional. <laughs> I just love the Savior. Lord, I'm finding this hard. You're going to have to help me. <laughs> <clears throat> See, whenever a man and woman has the Spirit of God, you can't not love him. It's impossible not to love the Lord if you have the Spirit living in you. If you're born again, it's impossible not to love the Lord Jesus. Excuse me, I'm, you know me, I'm not like this. <clears throat> I'm just struggling a little this morning. Romans chapter 8 came to me. Verse 1, we'll just read a little and stop and start because I said I haven't a message, I haven't a, um, a note written. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. We walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Let your eye run down, if you will, to verse 39, the last verse nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, we only love him because he first loved us. And our security, our eternal security, is not based on who we are, it's not based on what we can achieve or what we can do. Rather, our eternal security is based on the Lord Jesus. Everything, everything rests on him. Everything is invested in him. And the apostle Paul writing the book of Romans, it's a masterpiece Sometimes it can be difficult, even though it's so simple at times. And here is a chapter about the, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. And whenever he's showing us this chapter, he's showing not only the Holy Ghost, but the Holy Ghost living in you, who are saved, born again. And the Holy Ghost living in me, and also the, what the Holy Ghost does in our life. Holy Spirit, what does, what's he for? What does he do in the Christian's life? First of all, I mark this. First of all, the chief office of the Spirit of God is to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. If Christ isn't being glorified in our lives, then we're not overcome by the Holy Spirit. If Jesus isn't being exalted in the meeting, when we gather together, then there's no Holy Ghost. If we say, you know, well, Sunday morning was different, um, we shouldn't really expect it to be anything but different every Sunday morning, every Sunday night or whenever we meet. Because once we say we are not used to the meeting that way, we don't do it that way, then what we're saying is we've put a little word in there 
we. It shouldn't be we or me or I. It should be him. Him. And whenever he takes over a meeting, the meeting should be different. Every single part of it can be different every single day. Because he's eternal. Because there's no boundaries with him. He is the great eternal spirit. And what does he do? He elevates the man Christ Jesus in you. He causes our hearts. Now listen, he causes our hearts to love him. In other words, you and I don't love the Lord Jesus because of who we are or what we do. There's nothing in us wants to love the Lord Jesus. Nothing. We only love him because that is on a daily basis. We love him because he first loved us, but we only love him because he causes us to love the Lord Jesus. The apostle starts, there's no, therefore no, now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. That's you and I. Notice, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. And here he gives a war that goes on, a battle. The flesh and the spirit. And every single one of us are in this battle. Your flesh is going to want you to do things you never even thought you would do. And sometimes we walk after the flesh and not the spirit. And the spirit of God leads us in a totally different way than we're ever used to walking. The spirit of God will take us somewhere where we thought, no, this is impossible. And he shows us the impossible made possible. What the spirit of God does, he elevates the son then in us. He causes us to love him. How weak are we, really? Think about that. How weak is the human being that even takes the spirit of the living God to love the Savior in us? To cause us to love him? Now you can see the security that that you have in Christ this morning when the spirit of God is working in you and working in me, but working in you. It's called the operation of God in the scriptures. When God is operating in our lives because he loves us, but because the father loves his son. Isn't that amazing? I think about this. Our heavenly father loves his son, that man who was nailed to the cross hand and foot. Father loves his son so much that he places his spirit in you and in me when we are saved and causes us to love him too. Because the love of the father is in us. And so that love in us, we cannot help ourselves but love Jesus in return. Does that make sense to you? Because the Father, the Holy Ghost dwells in us, the Spirit of the Father lives in you, and because He lives in me, He loves the Lord Jesus. He loves the man that shed His blood and died. He loves Him so much 
He loves the Son so much that He loves Him from our hearts. And coming from our hearts causes us to love Him in return. And there's no condemnation to those of us who are walking in the Spirit. But in the flesh, there must be a condemnation because our own flesh condemns us. Listen, when we do something we know we shouldn't, and I'm not going to try and name things and rhyme them off or say or whatever it is, that conviction that comes from our hearts, that conviction that comes to your heart, I'm taking it there's conviction that comes to your heart. That conviction that comes, oh, that's not of you either. that's of him that's of him that's of the spirit of God and that condemnation of the flesh condemnation is to bring you into a right walk with Christ it is to mold us and make us even as we sang to be more like God's son first who says For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. In other words, see when we start to realize that we are sons and daughters of the living God. When we start to realize who we are in Christ, seated in Christ in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. When we start to realize this, who we are, We have a destiny, we have a vision, we have a goal, we have a purpose in life. And because of that, we see that, we realize that and recognize that, and we know it's not of ourselves. Now we're saying, look, this has absolutely nothing to do with me, this salvation. It's nothing to do with you. It's not in your religion, your denomination. It's not in the color of your skin. It's not in your nationality. It's in nothing. But by grace do we fail. And so it's God keeping us, working in us, operating in us, carrying us on to love Jesus and to fashion us, to make us and to mold us to be more like him. And the law of the spirit of life is this, that if you're in Christ, then the law of sin and death is this, that you and I will die mortally in our bodies. We'll die. But resurrection will come. There's not one part of you and I. There's not one part spirit, soul, or body. There's not one part of you who are in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's not one part of you that will be lost. Not one part of you. You know why you won't be lost? Because Jesus paid in full your debt of sin. He paid it all. He bought you with a price. And you're not your own anymore. You can't go and lose yourself, can you? You can't go and say, well, you know, I'm lost now. I, I'm lost. I'm over here and I'm going to lose myself. Jesus says, well, you can't lose yourself because I've bought you. Jesus says, I own you. See the true trade of God, and this is treading 
on another subject. The true child of God, the true blood-washed, blood-bought, spirit-filled, born-again Christian who loves him, who just hasn't had a religious experience but has had, had a deep down conversion of the spirit. They will do wrong. They will fail. They may even backslide into the world. But the true believer will never be happy there. Never be happy there. He and she will come back to Christ. They will never be happy. You know why? Because the Holy Ghost is in you. The blood of Jesus has bought you. You're not your own. You belong to him. And what does that tell you? And what does that tell me in our security in Jesus this morning? What does that tell you this morning when we think of, are we secure in Christ? And the old devil comes or, you know, we feeling that we're not up to much and all these things that come upon us. What, what does that tell us when we know that we're Je- we belong to the Lord Jesus? It tells us not only is this salvation not off ourselves, he not only saves us, but he keeps us. And you and I are secure in the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the hand of his Father. You're doubly secure. You're eternally secure. And this, this teaching, he goes right through the Gospels, right through the book of Acts, right through the epistles where where Jesus says, I have bought you and you're mine. So brothers and sisters, when you fail, listen, I'm not saying we should deliberately go out and fail just for the sake of it. And I am not saying like should not repent for we should. And I'm not saying we should walk in an open course of sin and live how we like and do what we want. I am not saying that. You know that. I, I always teach and preach that we live our lives right. But what I'm saying is, is you've never fallen too far that you can't turn back and repent and get right with God. It doesn't matter how far away you went. The prodigal son went into the pig pens, the, the abomination place. And he, he even was asking the pigs, give us a bit, looking for the husks. In other words, Jesus was showing how far, how low, how degraded it would have been for those at, at his time, how degrading it would be for someone to be there. But yet he says, my son was dead and is alive again. And is alive to me, the father says, alive in my household. He was always the father's son, but he was dead to him. My children will always be my children. You can't unborn that which has been born. Verse 3 says, For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through flesh. Notice that. The law was weak through flesh. Let's go down those Ten Commandments in our head and go home and through them and say, I failed. I failed. Even if it's in thought and murder and I, uh, or hatred towards someone, even if it's lust toward another, we failed, we failed, we failed. He says, But for what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son. The personal. Uh, closeness, the, the personal touch, if you want, of God sending his, listen, own son, his one and only, his unique son, sending his one and only son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, 
condemned sin in the flesh. In other words, he says that the devil would come and find nothing in me. He never sinned. He knew no sin. He did no sin. And so what we couldn't do, he did for us. So now we are free from this. The bondage of it isn't on us anymore. But what we tend to do is when we walk in an open course of sin, we tend to walk in that way and bondage comes on us. Bondage comes on our life. Bondage comes on our heart. We find it hard to pray and we don't want to read anymore. We find it hard to gather together with other believers because of our flesh. It's your flesh. And we bring ourselves into bondage. Christ has set us free. We bring ourselves into bondage. And so Jesus comes and keeps a law we could not keep and lived the life we could not live. And he died in our room instead. And so when he shed his blood, he says, now I own you. You can't keep yourself. You can't help yourself. You can't save yourself. How how weak are we? How feeble is the human being? How fickle is man that we think, well, what we do will be pleasing to God, yet all the time we're putrid, we're filthy, and we're stinking before him. That's strong, isn't it? But that's what we are. We, We speak of our flesh, we speak of death. Flesh is just death. Your flesh and my flesh is going to die. It speaks of death. But in Christ, whether we die and go to the grave or whether we live to the coming of the Lord and our change that is coming, it doesn't matter whether those go to the grave or those who are alive and remain. When Christ comes to catch us up to meet him in the air, he's going to change us in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. In other words, there's not one, not one if I can, we only know in the words that we know in the world today. There's not one strand of DNA from the days of Adam dying. Not one strand of DNA of man and woman, both who know the Lord and who died without knowing the Lord, that will not be recalled to stand before him. How does that happen? I don't know. In other words, there's dust, there's minute dust, there's atoms, and I don't know if we, I don't, I'm not the scientist, I don't know how, how little, what's the smallest, minutest particle that we can think of, but wherever it is, scattered in the world, whether it's been eaten by fish in the bottom of the sea, and the fish has been eaten by something else, and so on, well, no matter what it is, God's going to recall it. He knows where it is. And if he knows that, then how much does he know you sitting here right now? What does he know about me? What does he know about you? What does he know about our lives? What does he know about our closed doors? What does he know about the things that are said and done? What does he know about all those things that upset us and beset us? He knows everything. Everything. He knows everything. Jesus condemned sin in the, he came in the likeness, not in sinful flesh, but in the likeness. Now take note of that, the likeness of sinful flesh. In other words, he was a very man, but he did not sin. And he condemned the sin that was condemning us. I was always the big brother in our family. 
you know, I had a, one sister was two years older than me, but then there was me, a younger sister, and then my brother. So I was always the big brother in the family. I don't know what it's like to say, I got my big brother for you. I don't know what that's like. But I can tell you this, I have a big brother. And that which was condemning me to send me to hell, to send me to a lake of fire, that which was condemning you to send you to hell, to send you to a lake of fire, your own self, your own flesh, my own self, my own flesh, and the moral commandments of God that points to what to me, I'll put it to me, to all of us, but to me, and says, look, this is where you're going. This is who you are. You're going to die. You're under the law of sin and death. You're bound, you're captive. And the devil has every right to condemn me at the judgment seat at the great white throne should I not be saved. He's every right, for he was thrown out of heaven. He was thrown out because of his sin. And if God doesn't punish sin in the Christ rejecter by sending them to a lake of fire, if God doesn't take the sinner who has rejected the gospel and rejected the Lord Jesus Christ, if he doesn't punish them eternally as he will punish the devil eternally, if he doesn't, then he needs to set the devil free and apologize to him. God has to. God has to punish sin. God has to punish sin. He cannot sweep it under the carpet. He cannot put it behind his back. He cannot do that. It must be paid for. It must be dealt with. Sin brings forth death. That's the law of God. And God says, Ken, this is on you, son. And the 10 moral commandments of the Lord points to me and says, sinner, 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 sinner. And here are advocating, an advocate is in heaven for us, but there's also an adversary who will come and say, look at him, look at him, look at him, look at her, look at her, look at her. And that adversary, the devil, will say that about those who are not in Christ. And God must punish the sinner send them to hell to a lake of fire in other words an eternal punishment that you and I can't even think of you and I dare not imagine so what does he do as he says I'm going to send my son I love him so much. I love him so much, but I'm going to send him. And a baby is born in Bethlehem. He grows into a boy in the temple at 12 years of age. We find him at 30 years of age at the River Jordan being baptized for righteousness sake. To keep every law of God and every commandment. He had a miraculous life, a sinless life. He kept that law that pointed to me and he condemned it because he now stands between that law and me. And he stands there and he says, I have kept it for you. And he condemns that law for condemning me. My big brother has stood up for me. 
your big brother stood up for you. If he condemned that which was condemning you and the, at the cross of Calvary when he, he cries, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You see, he was forsaken that you would be brought in. He was forsaken that you and I would be reconciled to God the Father. He was forsaken that you and I would not be forsaken. And the heavens, the sky turns black and God pours out his wrath. Listen, his own father pours out his wrath. We have no idea this life. We have no idea of what that really entails. Well, sure, it's the sky turning black and there's nails in his hands and feet and there's other people being crucified. No, no, this is God's wrath is different. I don't know how to explain this and I don't think we'll ever know what it entails, but God poured out his wrath on the Lamb of God. He took my sin and yours. our place and he died that you and I would not be in a lake of fire think about it 2,000 years or so later and you and I are saved by the sovereign grace of God he died that you and I would be forgiven set free from our bondage that you and I in knowing Jesus in knowing him and loving him because why his spirit is within us and the spirit that loved him is now the Spirit in us loving him. Isn't that tremendous? Isn't that amazing to think of that? That me who never wanted to know him, who never wanted to, uh, who couldn't know him, I was dead to him. Now I'm in relationship with him. You're in relationship with him. Verse 4 says that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh but they are after the spirit the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. How many of us? And the spirit mentioned this in two occasions this morning. One was a confirmation of the third. But how many of us, in all honesty, look at the things that are around us and they get us so bad that the carnal mind starts to think the way out? That the carnal mind starts to try and sort it out and we can't, and stresses against it and worries against it and and worries about it and we don't know what to do, we don't know where we're coming or going and suddenly the carnal mind, you see, it's finite. It's only a wee tiny mind that you and I have. We are small minded compared to the mind of God. And God says to us, if you're carnal minded, you'll, you'll be bringing death in yourself. In other words, it'll bring you down, it'll bring you to destruction. It can actually make you stress and bring forth all sorts of diseases and sicknesses. It can cause you to be so, uh, so entangled and in bondage and, and become entrenched that you, you can see no other way around this, no other way through it, no other way out of it, and everything seems to get on top of you. And that whole mountain, instead of having the mountain top experience, now the mountain is on top of you. 
Lord, I can't do this anymore. How many of us are like that? I'd say all of us at some point. And it brings forth death to all of us. For to be carnally minded is death, but, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. See, once you and I yield ourselves to become spiritual in the sense, I'm not speaking about new age spiritism. I'm talking about when the spirit moves in us, our born again spirit, our blood wash bought spirit, starts to rejoice in that God is bigger than your problems. And not that we are saying, look at the size of the mountain I must climb, but rather looking to say, look at the size of thy God who made the mountain, the hills. Look at the size of my God, he's bigger than all things. And so it brings life and it brings peace to us. So it's where we set our minds. There's your battlefield where battles are fought and won or battles are fought and they are lost. I'm going to round this up and close this. It was just a few thoughts I want to put out there. Verse 7 says, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. Here's something you and I must really try and think about. Once you and I are trying to sort it out ourselves, once you and I are trying to work out our own salvation, or any person is, once you and I are trying to allow our mind to take us to a place that tears us down, once you and I allow that, then you know what we're doing? We're becoming an enmity toward God. In other words, we're at odds with him. For all the time, the, the spirit that lives in you and you and you and me and you and you go right around. The same spirit that lives in us, the one who causes us to love Jesus, is the same Holy Spirit that says to you and to me, I am the Lord. I am the Almighty. I am your God. You belong to me. Now that's security. That is security. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. If you read on down there, the security comes where you are born of the Spirit. If you're led by the Spirit, then you're Christ, you're the Father's. Verse 11 tells us, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. The modern churches seem to be throwing out the Holy Spirit not that they're really meaning to. Really, they're saying, this is how our meeting is, should be. This is the program we have set, and the Holy Ghost can't get in or out of it. 
And so what you do is you, you put programs in place and funders in place or whatever, and they all have their place in church life. They put them in the place of the Spirit. And they don't leave room for him to move in the meeting. And you know what that tells me? It tells me then, when the Spirit stops moving, it's time to go home. It's time to go home. It's time to call it a day. Not as in a meeting. Or else it's time to repent and get on your knees and cry unto the Lord and he will abundantly pardon. He'll have mercy. So the spirit in me and you this morning causes us to love the Lord Jesus. And if we don't love him, then we also must say then, where am I? Where am I with God? God bless us this morning.